on Wednesday of this last week, I flew from Fresno to Denver uh, to spend some time with one of our church planters, uh, and then later in the week go see uh, our son Wyatt uh, in Gunnison, Colorado. I was I flew into Denver, and, and as I'm getting ready to fly, I continually get uh, updates from the airline that says there's a winter storm coming, uh, and uh, flight will likely be delayed or, or canceled. That there's another uh, that there's another airport you may be diverted to in Colorado Springs, and so it was just this this overwhelming cloud of well, I hope we make it. Uh, we left Fresno. Our pilot was amazing, got us into Denver right as this, basically, this horrendous snowstorm was coming. Uh, we landed in Denver, and I called for my Uber driver to come pick me up at the airport and take me to, uh, to the hotel. And at the Denver airport, when you wait for an Uber or a Lyft, you have to wait outside for them on the furthest island from the building. Uh, as I'm standing there, dressed as a Central Valley, California guy coming out of warm weather, uh, it was absolutely bone chilling. And I call me Uber Bufella, and uh, they give you uh, constant updates of when they'll arrive, and he said he'd be there in a few minutes, which wasn't a problem. Well, weather being what it was, that got delayed and delayed and delayed. I couldn't go back inside and wait because I didn't know exactly what time it was going to show up. And so I'm standing out there, and I, I, I finally thought, you know, i got to get into my, into my little bag I had with me, and I pulled out my, my beanie to keep my little bald head warm at least. And I waited and waited and waited, and I felt this tension inside uh, between just getting just pissed off. You know, it's just like, this is ridiculous. And the tension of, Okay, Carl, you've been talking about coincidence, that there's an orchestration behind all things. So what might God be orchestrating? And so I calmed myself and, and just waited. And later than sooner, he showed up, put my bag in the back, get in, and I say, thank you so much for driving in this weather. I can't imagine that's easy. He said, well, thank you for your patience and your graciousness. Did he have no problem? <laughs> I said, you know, I'm learning that there's an orchestration of events that I'm not aware of. And I just need to be calm through it all. He said, that's a good, that's a good thing to learn. And then he quoted one of the Dalai Lamas, I don't remember which one it was, and said, what he said is that we can, can, only, tr we can only control what happens when, uh, with, within us. We can't control what happens out there. So if you control what happens within you, you'll be happy. I said, ah, okay. What the Bible says <laughs> is that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I believe that what happens in me is a result of the fruit of the Spirit because of the God who lives within me. He said, what? <laughs> I said, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, so I can be patient because the fruit of the God who is outside of me lives within me. He said, the fruit of the what? I said, the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of the living God who lives within me produces fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, patience, justice. He said, well, yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's good. Whatever religion you, you believe in, I guess the point of it all is to be happy. I said, well... <laughs> the issue I have with that is that while you may be happy, if the point of your religion is to make you happy, you're going to run into a problem. Because if my religion says A and B is what makes me happy, and your religion says C and D is what make you happy, maybe A and B and C and D are in conflict with each other. And when that happens, who re whose religion is right? He said, well, that's a good point. I said, that may be the point of religion. But the point of Christianity is a relationship with the living God who produces the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And then he got quiet. <laughs> and I was reminded that oftentimes God orchestrates coincidences like being delayed in a snowstorm outside of Denver Airport because he is orchestrating a conversation. If we believe that coincidences are just simple, random acts of chance and events, stuff doesn't make sense. The word coincidence is used one time in the Bible and was used by Jesus. Luke, I believe, chapter 10, as he's telling the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus says, by chance, coincidence, a priest walked along the side of the road. That word coincidence in the Greek is a compound word of sin, kurios, S-Y-N-K-U-R-I-O-S. It means together with, divine events put together, by divine authority. And so Jesus said there is a thing called coincidence, but there are events that are put together by divine authority. And so for those who are Christ followers, who believe in a sovereign God, having that belief in God means coincidence, as it's commonly understood, cannot exist because the cause is never unknown. I'm excited about what God is orchestrating. I'm excited about the coincidence circumstances that God is putting together because it's fun to watch in hindsight his orchestration of events. We don't see it in foresight. We trust it in foresight. We see it in hindsight. I'm excited for what God is in the process of doing. I just agreed to start coaching rookie baseball. I'm not a baseball guy. I'm a football guy as most of God's good children are. <laughs> and I coach baseball like I coach football. And we have fun. I'm excited about the coincidences and circumstances that God is orchestrating. 
as I jump back into little boy baseball out at Riverstone in the Stone, Riverstone community at Stone Creek because I'm purposefully changing my huddle so that I can meet people there that I do not know to invite them to our site there. And I'm excited for the coincidences and circumstances God is going to create and put me in by little boy rookie baseball. This is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture, a chapter today, in the book of Genesis that doesn't get much publicity. And if you're a student of the Bible, you may have read it before uh, and probably read right over it and may not have gotten to some of the stuff that I think is in it that I want to point out today. So if you have a Bible and brought one with you, go to Genesis 24. All the, everything we're going to look at is on our app. If you've got that, I encourage you to download that if you don't have it. Follow along there. It's also on the screens. Let me just set the table before we feast a little bit. Genesis 24. I have found, let's see if you're like me, I have found that when I'm not up against a time frame, it's easy for me to be patient. Right? But when I feel like I've waited long enough, I tend to force things. Any of you people wired like me? Are, are any of you sitting by someone who's wired like me? Maybe that's a, a better question to get some honest feedback. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Now, listen, that's not necessarily a bad thing. When I placed an order at a restaurant and I've waited too long for my food, it might be okay to rattle the waiter a little bit. When I've waited long enough at a stoplight that's not changing and there's no other cars around, it might be okay for me to go. But, as we'll see in Genesis 24, when I've waited too long, for a relationship, it's dangerous to force things. How does God use coincidences in terms of relationships? Here, here's what I suggest. God often creates a lack in order to produce a love. I'll explain that in a minute, but just let me put that out there. Just keep that in the back of your head. This works two different ways. The first is this. In the context of relationships, if you're single, God allows and oftentimes exacerbates a lack of relationship before he'll produce a love relationship for you. He'll also uh, oftentimes allow a lack and exacerbate a lack of relationship before he'll produce a love relationship for you. Why? Because he wants to draw you and to drive you to a relationship with him before a relationship with another. If you're married, God may use and allow a lack in that relationship to produce a reliance on a greater love, his love for you. So God will oftentimes create and orchestrate a lack 
to produce a greater love. In both of those instances, whether single or married, the point of the lack is to drive you to Christ and to realize that he is ultimately the only one who can meet all of our needs and to make us come face to face if we really do trust him and if we really do desire him. As I sat in the Denver airport yesterday and my flight was continually delayed, hour after hour, I took a moment and I, I, I said, God, what is it that I haven't heard from you about my message tomorrow? I'm, I'm guessing you're giving me some space. Because if I were to get home when I'm supposed to get home, I would get busy doing stuff. And so if I'm sitting here, you've orchestrated this coincidence. What is it that I haven't, that you haven't downloaded to me yet? So hurry up and do that so I can get on the plane and go home. <laughs> and so I just typed this stuff out on my phone. And, and I think one of the things God was saying is that God allows a lack so that we will know what it is that we love. For the follower of Jesus, put that asterisk out there. For the follower of Jesus, when we lack something we love, we're forced to admit what it is we really love. Do we love what we lack or do we love the God who gives and takes away? Do you understand? At some point, we will lose or lack everything that is time-bound. In other words, everything that's contingent, some of you will really understand this, everything that's contingent upon age, strength, or beauty will at one day be lost or found lacking. Right? That was a bunch of old voices that said right. <laughs> They're like, oh, man, no doubt. And so, first thing, appreciate those things because one, one day they will not be what they are now. And the second thing is to ground your loves in what is eternal, not what is time-bound. Now, just think about it for a minute. God, I'm going to try my best to put into, into, into simple words what was, is in my mind complex. Sometimes God allows a lack without us ha ever having the thing that we lack. Like, like sometimes God will allow a lack of something that we've never had in order to produce a deeper love than what we thought we wanted. Now, now pay attention. The example I have is relationships. When one wants a relationship with another person, but God doesn't allow it, so he creates a lack of it, though they've never even had it. God reveals the tension that is in that heart and reveals what it is they really love. Do they really love a relationship with another person or do they really love a deepening relationship with him? And so many young people or single people desire and love 
a relationship with another person more than a deepening relationship with him. So that's why so oftentimes the struggle of singleness is so profound. Now, while we were created for relationship with each other, and the highest form of that relationship is in the context of marriage between a man and a woman, for the Bible said it is not good for a man to be alone. It was in, it's in, the Bible doesn't say it's not good for a woman to be alone. Oftentimes, y'all would probably be better off if you were alone. <laughs> and you stuck with us. But most people get so concerned about the lack of a human relationship that they neglect the God relationship first. Because they're enthralled with the idea of a relationship with another. So what I see is God oftentimes orchestrates a lack, sometimes of what you've never even had, in order to produce a love. And the realization of a much more profound, deeper love. So let me say this in the context of Genesis 24. Again, I'm just setting the table here before we start eating. In the context of marriage, according to Genesis 24, that, that's where we're headed, but, but I, need to, I need to address this. As far as marriage is concerned, if you're married, pay attention. When I realize you cannot meet all my needs, I realize you were never intended to meet all my needs. Please understand this. If you're married, you should meet many of your spouse's needs. And you better need, meet the needs that only your spouse should meet. But please understand, your spouse was never intended to meet all of your needs, for only God can meet them all. Understand? Now let me be clear. If you're married, learn what your spouse's love language is, and commit to meeting it as regularly as you can. You can't meet them all, but you better meet that one as best you can. Only God can meet all your spouse's needs. And so if you're married, you need to understand that your spouse will never meet all your needs. Now, please don't read into this anything about, you know, me and my marriage. Like, just, I'm just telling you, like, this is, this is, this is good marriage stuff. Don't expect your, and don't put that on your spouse to meet all of your needs. They will never do it. Do you understand? I'm asking again, do you understand? Yes. To paraphrase Genesis 24, verses 1 through 4, the story begins with Abraham, who's an old man, and he wants his son Isaac to be married. His son Isaac is single. It's a struggle for both Isaac and his father, Abraham. And so Abraham grabs his servant and says, go to my hometown and find a bride for my son. And the servant says, if, in verse 5, if I find a gal for your boy and I ask her about a relationship with him, and she says, no, what do you want me to do? And in verse 10, Abraham tells his servant, take a bunch of stuff with you. 
Take a bunch of the good stuff of my estate. Take the symbols of the richness of my estate and show her how good I am and show her how good my son will be to her if she enters into this relationship with him. And so this servant amasses all this wealth and riches and sets off to Abraham's hometown with a lot of camels and people. And the Bible says in Genesis 24, they come to a spot where they stop and they need to water the camels. They need to let the camels get a drink. Now just imagine for a moment how long, arduous, hot, and difficult is that journey if your camels need a drink. And so we pick up the story in Genesis 24, which at one, there's two levels to Genesis 24. One level is the level of relationship, marriage relationship. And so we pick up the story in, in verses 12 through 14. Then the servant prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be, by coincidence, that when I say to some young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, just by coincidence, let her say, drink and I'll water your camels too. And just orchestrate these events that she's the one that you've chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I'll know that you've shown kindness to my master. The servant prays that coincidences will be orchestrated because there's a lack of a relationship. And those circumstances will be orchestrated to produce a profound love. Do you understand? By coincidence, he says, let it just so happen that I'm here and just let it so happen by coincidence that this girl show up, let it be gracious and kind enough to water my camels. Now, someone has estimated, based on how much wealth the servant, as we learn from Scripture, that the servant brought to give to this young lady and her family, and the length of journey, someone estimates that it would have taken about 10 camels to make this journey with all the possessions. They've also estimated that camel, being fully watered, would require about 25 gallons of water. So he's asking that this woman would be kind of gracious enough to be willing to carry 250 gallons of water. Now, if you understand how much water weighs, water weighs eight pounds per gallon. That's 2,000 pounds of water. As a good woman. That girl willing to work. <laughs> right? I guarantee you that one would bear some babies right there. <laughs> so guess what God does? Just by coincidence, this lady Rebecca shows up. Just by coincidence. Before he had finished praying. Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. I'm telling you, God is so good. 
I'm telling you, God is so good. <laughs> He's so good that not only does he orchestrate by coincidence a woman who was kind and gracious, but by coincidence, this girl is hot. She's one that you swipe right on right away. You understand? Like, wow. Tell me that God doesn't take care of his kids. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough over and over and over again for all the camels. Without saying a word, the man watched closely to learn whether the coincidences have been orchestrated by God that led him to that point at that time with that girl at that time to see whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. What appeared to Rebecca as coincidence or events orchestrated by the hand of God. And on in this chapter from verses 22 through 50, we read the account of how the servant is invited back to Rebecca's house and how he meets the entire family. And he tells, this servant does, of his master's estate and goodness and benevolence, of his riches and his wealth, of the master and of his son. And then he asked the families for Rebecca's hand in marriage on behalf of the son. And the family talks about it. And the family says, we cannot make that decision for her. She must make the decision of the relationship for herself. Good answer. Now, there was a time when parents would choose their kids' spouses. Our first son did pretty dang well on his own. That's probably due to how godly his wife is and how benevolent she is. He's pretty good too. Our other two, we would really like to go back in the days where we could choose our kids. That would be awesome. Right? I mean, you got kids. Like, you know better than your children. Right? I mean, it's just obvious. But alas, here, they say, we can't make that decision. She has to make the decision for herself. At the end of the story, Rebecca chooses to enter into a relationship with the son. Here's the lessons I want to draw from this chapter 24 of Genesis. Of coincidence and of relationship. Go back with me to verses 12 through 14. The servant prayed. God, make me successful and show kindness. I'm standing here and I'm watching for your hand at work. Make it such that when these women come out to draw water and I say such and such, that she will say such and such. And by the orchestration of coincidence, 
will know that you're a good God and has shown kindness. The servant prayed and asked God's help in looking for the right woman. What the servant understood was this. He recognized that he was going about God's work, for, so he asked for God's help. When you face an issue that involves God's work, request God's help. And then watch for God's orchestration of coincidence. Get your hands off and let God do what God does. The servant prayed an incredibly specific prayer. And then he stood back and watched for God to act. He didn't rush to his own conclusion. He didn't rush to make his own decision. And he didn't start kicking down doors. Here's what I know and here's what we all have to understand. Some things are too important to force or to base our decisions on our own understanding of the circumstances that we're in and are around us. They're too important. Pray. Give it to God. Get your hands off. And let him orchestrate circumstances. I want you to note something. At one level, this chapter is about God orchestrating situations for his kids to find each other in marriage. I need to say this, and I'm going to say this as gently as I can. And I do not at all intend to be offensive. But I know that this might step on some toes. I don't want to be offensive. God's word is offensive enough. So gently let me say this. God will never pair one of his kids with someone who is not one of his kids. God doesn't do that. In other words, God will not pair a Christian in marriage with someone who's not a Christian. Because the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. And if that's God's command, that would never be God's desire. That happened one time in the Bible. It's called the book of Hosea. All you have to do is read the context of the book of Hosea to realize that's probably not what you want for your marriage. Now, you may choose that road for yourself, but that's not necessarily God's first choice for you. But if that is the choice that one makes, there are a couple things that have to happen. The Christ follower in a marriage with a non-Christ follower must live their faith quietly, humbly, and respectfully within the context of that marriage. No one's ever been nagged into the kingdom of God. Another thing that must happen is realize that all one is doing in that scenario is adding stress and problems to a marriage that is already going to go under stress and problems. It's adding to it. And the other thing that has to happen is that person has to stay committed to that other regardless of the other's non-faith. And the result oftentimes, because God is so good, is that God can work within that relationship that he didn't necessarily foreordain and bring the other to him and create a beautiful, godly, Marriage.
My grandparents on my mother's side are perfect examples. 40 years married. My grandma living quietly her faith until my grandpa as an old man bent his knee in great tears and repentance and walked with Jesus the rest of his life until he walked into the gates of glory. So God can do it. But that's not his initial intent. And regardless of the issues in a marriage, please understand that the solution, God's intent was never to be divorce. Divorce, every time, at some level, is the result of sin. Divorce was never God's intent nor design. But there's always, always mercy and grace. And God usually brings incredible blessings in the wake of his mercy and his grace. But let me be clear. Marriage is not about someone else making you happy. That's not what marriage is. Marriage is about choosing to stay in a marriage as much as it's dependent upon you. But since this message in Genesis 24 is not about divorce, I don't want to deal with the nuances anymore of it here. I just wanted to address it up front a little bit. But please let me say this and hear this about marriage. Marriage is not the solution to any problem. Marriage is not at all about finding the ultimate fulfillment of your life. You can be very fulfilled without marriage. Marriage is not the thing that gives your life meaning. And marriage does not make you better. You okay? Now listen. Marriage can be fulfilling. And marriage can give you meaning and life meaning, and marriage can make you better. But the, one of the issues that our culture and our children and young adults and single people constantly live with and deal with is the pressure and oftentimes the shame of being single. And it shouldn't be that way. And if someone is single and they get old enough, ultimately the question that is always asked time and time again and the expectation is, when are you finally getting married? And it's created this neurosis around singleness that causes a single person to feel less than whole and less than fulfilled and less than meaningful, thinking erroneously that if I could just get married, everything's good. Now it can be, but marriage in and of itself is not the solution. 
So if you're single, please understand. Do not believe that marriage is the end all to fulfilling your life. It can be extraordinarily fulfilled and be single. Now, having said that, let me say this. One of the most profound things that God does for his gifts is to pair them in marriage to each other. Without a doubt. So it can be very fulfilling, and it can be great meaning, and it can make your life better. And this is what Genesis 24, at one level, is all about. The orchestration of circumstances and events to bring two of God's people together in marriage. And this is what God does so beautifully if we get our hands off and trying to force and not having shame around singleness. And God does this oftentimes when we trust God with it and when we trust God for it. And it's what God often does when we trust his timing. And it's what God often does when we commit it to God's plans and God's orchestration. But when we get our grubby little hands on it and try to force it together and find some, try to find something in it that way it was never intended to provide, it gets really, really, really messy. What I'm learning is what may appear as circumstances and coincidence may be God's orchestration. Just trust him when you're single. But realize, if you're married, oftentimes God's circumstances and coincidences of bringing two lives together have been profound. And so, if you're married, treat your spouse as the divinely orchestrated event in your life, handpicked by God. Let that sink in. If you're married, treat your spouse as the divinely orchestrated event that God has handpicked just for you. And when you view your spouse like that, wow! The honor, the joy, the wow. Like, I got you. Now, if you're married, you're, you know how difficult that is day in, day out. Right? I mean, not, it's not hard for me to understand that because you know, you know who I'm married to. That's awesome. But, but some of us, <laughs> we're difficult people to live with. But if God has orchestrated you together, you are. And your spouse is the divinely orchestrated event that God has brought together. Now let me say something else. If you have kids, the same goes for them. That God has divinely orchestrated and knit them together and chose you for them. And wow. You remember the servant's prayer? The servant knew that God was about the process of orchestrating coincidences and circumstances according to God's plan. We have to know that God is about the business right now of orchestrating coincidences and circumstances according to his plan. And he's so good, 
He often includes your blessing in his plan. While the servant was praying, the Bible says, God was sending already the answer to his prayer. Isaiah 65, 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I've already heard. While our prayers are going up, God's hand is already orchestrating. Please understand, if you're single, you better be praying for that spouse because in those prayers, God is already orchestrating who that is. He's already creating coincidence to bring that together. And if you've got a child, who is yet unmarried oh my goodness you parents understand how vital and crucial it is to be praying for your kid's spouse because God is already orchestrating them to come together now I realize what time it is allow me one more moment will you I want to give you the big point of this whole coincidence circumstance idea whether we talk about the context of relationship and marriage whether we talk about career, we talk, whatever it is, circumstances will arise that are intended to point you to Jesus, to highlight him, not you. Circumstances and coincidence will arise that are intended to point you to Jesus and highlight him, not you. Let, let, let me show you... I said at one level, Genesis 24 is about this, the orchestration of a relationship between someone who would become husband and wife and how God works that for his kids. There's a whole other level to Genesis 24. The other level to Genesis 24, understand what's happening here. In this entire story, the whole chapter, we're never given the servant's name. It always just says the servant. The servant remains unnamed. Why? Because, because to draw attention to the servant will draw attention away from the son. The servant in Genesis 24 is a picture and a whisper of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's role is to draw people to the Son, to Christ, to glorify Him. And the servant's name is never given, so it doesn't draw attention to the servant, so all the attention is placed on the Son. The circumstances and coincidence that come up in your life are meant to draw you to Christ and to highlight Him. In all of this chapter, the servant never talks about the arduous journey that he went on, how long and how hard and how difficult it was. He only spoke about the benevolence and the goodness and the graciousness and the wealth of Abraham and Isaac, the father and the son. Likewise, the Holy Spirit doesn't testify about himself. The Holy Spirit only testifies to the master and the master's riches. The Holy Spirit only talks about the goodness of the Son. Because the Bible says in John 15, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He won't talk about himself. He won't talk about his own journey. He won't talk about his own work. The only thing the Holy Spirit will do is talk about me. And so in Genesis 24, we're not told who the servant is because the servant doesn't draw attention to himself. 
Because circumstances and coincidences are only meant to draw us to the Son. Do you understand? Can I give you another one? And all that the servant did, the servant simply made an offer of a relationship and let the woman decide about the relationship because relationship isn't forced. The servant didn't argue with the future bride. The servant didn't coerce. The servant didn't guilt. The servant simply bore witness to the goodness and the benevolence and the blessing of the master. Likewise, the Holy Spirit simply draws people to Christ by loving kindness. Romans 2, 4, the loving kindness of God is intended to draw you to the Father. The servant doesn't force a relationship. The servant merely gives the opportunity for the one to respond to the invitation of the Son. Just tell the facts. That's all the servant does. This is the facts about the Father. This is the facts about the Son. You have the option to respond. The Bible says when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. The only thing the Holy Spirit will do in life is tell you of the truth of God, of the truth of ourselves, of the truth of the scenario in which we live in this world and give you the opportunity to respond. What I love about the servant in Genesis 24, he just gave the women gifts, the woman gifts to prove the master's goodness. The servant just gave the woman gifts, free of charge, just out of grace and graciousness, to take back to her huddle, to prove the master's goodness and the goodness of the son. The Holy Spirit does the same thing. The Holy Spirit gives good gifts and blessings and spiritual gifts, not based on our merit, but based on the graciousness of the master. And he gives those to the bride, which is God's church, so we can take them back to our huddle and show our huddle the goodness of God in Jesus. Do you understand? Because the Bible says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit has given them. To draw attention to the Son. The Bible says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. All these circumstances and all these coincidences are intended to point us to Jesus. Whether we're talking about finding a spouse or we're talking about the spouse we already found, whether we're talking about our next steps in life or whether we're talking about our hopes, whether we're talking about our dreams or whether we're talking about our dead ends, whether we're talking about our next steps or we're talking about our best. The only, the circumstances consequences are in our lives to point us to Christ. So be confident of this, that God is right now for his kids, orchestrating coincidences and circumstances and events for the purpose of pointing us to Jesus. But God is so good. At the same time, he's orchestrating for your blessing because he loves you that much. 
And when you understand God's great love, it awakens us to your orchestration of his hand. When you understand God's great love, it awakens you to the realization of the orchestration of his hand. He's a good God. I want you to pray with me. Father, I thank you that you've loved us with an everlasting love. I thank you that you've drawn us to yourself. You've drawn us to each other. I think that it's not by accident, but it's by orchestration. I pray in this moment, just simply, Father, that you would let us be overwhelmed. Not by circumstances and coincidences that are swirling around us. But that in this moment, you would let us be overwhelmed by the realization of your glory. That you let us be overwhelmed by your concern for us. That you let us be overwhelmed with the realization of your sovereignty, that you let us be overwhelmed by you. In this moment, my encouragement to you in this place, to you who hear my voice, is to say to the God who loves you, I choose to trust your plan. Between you and God, with everything in the depths of your heart. Father, I choose to trust your plan. Ask him, say, help me see coincidence as your hand of orchestration. Say, Father, I'm going to try to get my hands off and trust your hands in. And I trust you for the success of what you're orchestrating in my life. Father, we love you. Encourage us. Cause us to walk out here with an assurance, with a confidence. God, that changes our step, that changes our view, that changes literally our future. That we would walk into the orchestration of your destiny. In your name I pray, amen.